starring Terry Thomas at his laughter-making best and Peter Sellers, Peter Sellers, Peter Sellers, Peter Sellers, Peter Sellers. Ah! An Englishman, all right. Ah! The man of a thousand crazy characters. What, ball? <laughs> what? Oh, boy, no, 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 I, uh, a few rabbits, pheasants, a small fry. <laughs> no, 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 sir. Boar, B-O-R-E. Boar. <laughs> hmm? Peggy Mount, on her funniest form, planning to be the death of someone. Right. That's whiskey, gin, sherry, tea, coffee, cocoa, all Mickey Finned. Oh. He's bound to accept one or the other. Mumsy. Oh, Mumsy. Hmm? This is stark staring murder. Dennis Price as a smarmy blackmailer whose destruction drives everyone to distraction. Goonpod. Uh, this week, I am joined once again by returning guest Scott Phipps. Uh, Scott is a podcaster par excellence. Uh, he is co-host of podcasts such as Real Britannia, uh, the Stinking Paws podcast, and the official Talking Pictures TV podcast. So bound up is Scott in his podcasting activities that if his family want to communicate with him, they have to dress up and reenact scenes from Crooks and Cloisters to engage his attention. So this week, Scott and I are talking about a uh, what I would class as a, an undervalued, underappreciated, kind of forgotten Sellers film, Peter Sellers film from the 1950s. Um, but before we got talking about that, I, I asked Scott why he'd been under the weather. The dreaded COVID, my friend. Yeah, I mean, it's getting to the point where I think everybody is going to be struck down or affected by it in some point. And unfortunately, it hit me the 17th of December. Ouch. Ouch. So the 10-day wow. isolation period covered all of Christmas. It was horrible. Oh, dear. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, you're not alone. I mean, I somehow, we somehow managed to avoid it. Although, I don't know if, if uh, listen, I mean, I'm not, <clears throat> I'm quite nasally in my speech anyway, but I'm particularly mm. so today because I'm a, I've got a bad head cold. I've, I've, I don't think it is COVID. I've had a few couple of done a couple of tests, but um, yeah. But uh, but you know, um, uh, as they say, Doctor Grease Paint, Doctor Theatre. <laughs> the show must go on. The show must go on. Uh, yeah. But if I'm coughing and spluttering and and dribbling into the microphone, I do apologise, ladies and uh, lady and gentlemen. Uh, so today, today you've come to talk about a film which has a goon connection of course it's uh, of course. otherwise it wouldn't be on this podcast but it's <laughs> um it kind of gets overlooked i feel but i i would say it's to me the second best peter sellers black and white british film uh, yeah there's a few there's a few i mean it, it's the one that's overlooked i think mm. which is surprising considering the cast mm. that's in it mm. and the pedigree that's there 
uh, I think if you were to put that out to people, what's your favourite, you know, black and white Peter Sellers movie? Many would say I'm all right, Jack, or even Two Way Stretch, I think would be yeah. up there. But this one, as I say, because of who's in it, it's surprising. It's, it's, it's shown on TV fairly regularly. I think Talking Pictures TV may have the rights for it at the moment. Um, but not to the extent it would have been, you know, 20, 30 years ago when it would have been a, a staple of the Sunday afternoon BBC Two schedules or whatever. That's right. I mean, we better, better say what it is. I mean, people know what it is, of course, but it's, <laughs> um, it's The Naked Truth from 1957. Yes. Did you know it had an alternate title? I did. Which which was a bit risque. I don't know if it was the American title or it was just dropped. Am I right in thinking it was called something like "Your Past Is Showing"? Your Past Is Showing, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. That was the American title. I'm guessing because they were a bit uh, iffy about mm. having the word "naked" in a film. Yeah, probably. You know, what they it, it makes sense. It mm. makes sense with their attitudes at the time to sort of <laughs> film censorship and that. Yeah, the Hayes Code was probably still enforced to a certain degree. Oh, yeah, it hadn't yeah. fully oh. been relaxed, had it at this point? So. No, I think it had another good 10 years of steam yeah, left. Yeah, um, of course, until sort of like the the Bonnie and Clyde era, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, that famous sort yeah. of 67 onwards, yeah. Yeah. So so this film, um, Peter Sellers regarded it as his first starring vehicle. Mm. But technically, he's not the star. Um, I mean, it's an ensemble piece to a degree, but Terry Thomas is top build, isn't he? I think he would have had to have been at this stage, 1957. Mm. Um, it's certainly one of the earliest films where Sellers gets a chance to really let rip and sort of explore every aspect of his repertoire. Yes. Be because he's given a dozen characters to play almost, you know, um, amongst a stellar cast. You know, it's incredible that Sellers is almost doing a, um, and Alec Guinness, you know, he's a great hero. You know, he's almost doing a kind hearts and coronets because there's about four or five different characters he plays or impersonates, you know, um, and, uh, throughout and the movie. Absolutely. And speaking of kind hearts and coronets, of course, we have the the uh, superlative Dennis Price. <laughs> um, I love Dennis Price. I love Dennis I Price. Yeah. Um, and, and the thing is, it's, he, he never plays anybody particularly nice. No. Um, <laughs> there's always some dark side to every Dennis Price character. Even in his later life, I mean, he died early 70s, but he would appear in some of these amicus horror films and, and things. Like, and he was never a nice character, but you always sort of, I don't know, sort of gravitated towards him because I think he just had some sort of presence that, that was quite, you know, formidable on screen. And he's another... Another case, I think he's quite overlooked when mm. people go back to this era and we talk about the James Robertson Justice or or the Terry Thomas or, um, you know, those sort of character actors. And, and he doesn't get mentioned and he should be, I think, a little bit more. Absolutely, because he was he appeared in a number of films with Sellers. Um, well, he, he appeared in so many films. He reminds me a bit of... he. Right, he played the sort of roles that Denham Elliott would play sort of 15, 20 years later. Yes. Yeah. That, that sort of um, slightly uh, raffish, disreputable chance. Almost, yeah. Um, bureaucrat as well sometimes, like yes. a cabinet member or, yeah, some sort of minister or something. You know, yeah, he, he, he went to a good school and he, mm. he can display impeccable breeding, but touch you for a fiver and you know you're never going to see that five pound note again the one. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but apparently he um from what i've read about 
Dennis. I mean, he he well, he didn't have a great personal life, and I, I know that he would turn up to uh, shootings with um, a bag full of brown ale. Yes. Um, so, and 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 you could sort of see as as his career went on, his his face became quite puffy and jowly. You did, that's it. Yeah, you do. You do see that. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so yeah, so this is this is probably the first. I mean, yeah, I'd say this is the first sort of major starring vehicle for Sellers in the sense that he he said in 1957 that he wanted to be a star like Mad, and uh, you, you know this 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 ambition that he had uh, was to be fulfilled. In fact, he and um, Peggy Mount, who's also in this film, uh, yes, they 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 shared the same agent at the time. Gentleman <laughs> called uh, Montague Lyon of German Street, uh, yep. or Monty Lyon, uh, and so she knew Sellers before they, you know, before they worked together on this film. And she she recalled him talking about how he was going to be a huge star, and she kind of just scoffed at the, the you know the very notion. She just thought, yeah. Uh, um, but you know, he, he he had the talent, he had the ambition, and and he proved it, didn't he? Absolutely. I mean, this is still two years after Lady Killers. Yeah. Um, which is where he really made his mark on the big screen. You know, mm-hmm. that, you know, he'd done a couple of little bits. You know, we, we know he did Down Among the Zed Men and the Goon oh, bits yeah, and pieces. Yeah. Um, Lady Killers was the one that brought him some sort of screen recognition. There's not a lot, you know, in the build-up to this. I mean, the, the film immediately before this was the smallest show on earth. Yes. Which was the Basil Dearden directed movie with Bill Travers and Virginia McKenna. And I think Margaret Rutherford was mm-hmm. in and a couple of others, mm-hmm. um, which was a bit of a departure for Dearden because Dearden was the king of the social problem movie. Mm-hmm. Um, mm, he made right. things, yeah, things like Sapphire and Pool of London, as well as League of Gentlemen, you know, and he'd go on to do the Roger Moore, the man who never was, or the man who haunted himself, you know, in the early 70s did, was his did, last movie. Yeah. Did he do Yield to the Night? Uh, no, I don't think he did. That's the Die in the Doors one, isn't it? That's I don't right. think he actually directed that one, but it's it's that sort of era, yeah. and he sort of picked up. It's, it's sort of what we describe on the Real Britannia podcast as the precursors to the kitchen sink era. Mm. Mm. There was this whole gamut of what they referred to as social problem movies. So uh, did and directed a thing called Violent Playground with David McCallum and Stanley oh, Baker. Yes, I've seen that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's... it's um, it's about juvenile delinquents and the and the, the demonic effects of rock and roll on the nation's youth. You know, it's a very bizarre thing where you see David McCallum going to this like zombie-like trance, just listening to rock and roll music and setting fire to buildings. And there's an armed siege at the end. It's bizarre, very bizarre mm. film. But mm. did and directed the smallest show on earth. Did a few comedies. He did the League of Gentlemen. You know, which is my officially my fourth favorite film of all time. League oh, you've actually got it ranked, have you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't actually do that. That's one of the things people <laughs> ask me. Presenting a couple of movie podcasts. Well, what's your favourite film? Or what's your top ten? It's, it's an ever-changing list. But one thing that's constant is Peter Sellers. You know, when you look at trying to rank Peter Sellers movies, I say two-way stretch is my favourite mm. Sellers movie of all time. Closely followed by Lady Killers. It's very hard for me to actually sort of split those two. You know, yeah. when you get to things like this, but when when you watch these after a while, and it's like, oh my god, I forgot about the Naked Truth, or you know, you'll go back and you might watch the Mouse that Roared or something like that, and you think, actually, that's quite good. I've forgotten how good that was, and that's that's the beauty of Sellers' work. There's so much there spanning a thirty odd year career. 
you're going to find some undiscovered gems or rediscovered some stuff as well. Yeah. And, yeah. and I like it. It was like watching this for the first time. I looked back on Letterboxd, where I log all my movies for the um, for the podcast. I realised I'd only watched this about 18 months ago and I'd completely forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't remember when I first saw this. It would have been during the white heat of my goon obsession when, mm. I, was a, when I was a teenager. It wasn't, to the best of my recollection it wasn't it didn't by the way um i'm in the conservatory recording this and next door's dog has decided to come out and bark i can hear it that's um, fine <laughs> he must be a, he must he must be a fan of the hancock podcast and not mine um, <laughs> <laughs> um so hopefully he will be dragged into the house shortly but anyway we'll carry hopefully. on um no it didn't form part of the remember there was a channel four um themed or a series of peter sellers films um, back in 91, 92. Yeah. Um, and it was it was the British era sellers. Um, and I'm sure that, that it wasn't part of that, but I mm. would have seen it. I don't know where I would have seen it or where I saw it, but I've, I've certainly seen it a number of times over the years and I absolutely adore it. Uh, and it's, for me, it's Sellers' first opportunity to really flex his acting chops. His yes, acting muscles. definitely. Yeah. Um, so it, it, was, it was released on 3rd of December, 1957. I was just doing a little bit of research, obviously a little bit of research, you know, doing the, 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 the heavy research for this. <laughs> and I was looking at release date and I just noticed, by the way, this is completely unrelated, but released 3rd of December, 1957. Now the day before, 2nd of December, 1957, the day before mm -hmm. this film yeah. was released, um, it, was, it was a day very uh, significant for the actor Harrison Ford. Do you know why that would be or what that was? Well, he couldn't have been born, surely, because he's in his 70s now, isn't he? Yeah. Mm. Well, he died. Harrison Ford? Mm. Yeah, not the Harrison Ford that we know, but there was another <laughs> actor. There was, <laughs> I was another actor. Say, <laughs> totally confusing me there. No. So, so what do we know this Harrison Ford for? Anything famous at all? Anything notable? I think the, the, the technical term is bugger all. Um, he, was, <laughs> um, he was in a number of films back in the, you know, I guess 20s, 30s, whatever, but he wasn't a big star. But I just noticed that when I was, you know, you looking at timelines and things that said, mm. Harrison Ford died, actor Harrison Ford died. I thought... Somebody's typoed is this, there. Yeah. Is this IMDb <laughs> trivia? Is it that accurate? You know. <laughs> um, anyway, this this film. So it's uh, directed by Mario Zampi, um, yes. who, by the way, Morris Woodruff, who was Peter Sellers' uh, rather ropey spiritual advisor, I suppose you'd call him, and he, he would often advise Sellers on what projects to to take. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, he was getting backhanders from movie producers and whatnot, but he advised Sellers that he would be making a film with someone who had a Z in his name. Okay. Oh, right. Okay. Um, and I think that possibly had some bearing on why um, Sellers accepted this, 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 this role because director Mario Zampi, um, yeah. but, uh, but I think they believe it or not, I think they clashed. Imagine that. Imagine such a thing. Sellers clashing with a director. With anybody. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it's written by Michael Pertwee, um, brother of yes. John, brother of John and, and older brother. Now he also wrote um, for for you know, fans of the goons. He wrote uh, Digby, the biggest dog in the world, as well, um, which features Spike. That's, Is that the Jim the Jim Dale one? 
Jim Dale one. Yeah. 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 I yeah. know it. I know it well. Yeah. Um, and by the way, um, quite topical because uh, at the time of recording, um, uh, we're hearing all about this uh, Operation Save Big Dog. <laughs> um, uh, um, but yes, it's, 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 as I said, it's a showcase. The film is a showcase for Salah's talents. He plays, ostensibly, he plays uh, wee Sonny McGregor who is a, um, well, we think he's Scottish, but his accent, when he's, you know, when he's not performing as, as Sonny, he, his accent sort of veers all over the place. There is a very, yeah, it, it, it's a very broad Scottish accent when he's on stage. Uh, it's, it's almost like cartoon-like Hogmanay performance when he's on stage, you know. Mm. Uh, but when he's backstage talking to his personal assistant and things like that. It, it, it almost drifts into to Welsh, which it, which it does when he does the Irish accent a little bit later, which we might, might get to. Yes. But it yes. does, it does, it does vary in quality, which I don't know if it's deliberate because, you know, you'd expect a man of Seller's talents to be pretty on the ball with that sort of thing. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's deliberate or not, but yeah, it's, it's variable quality, certainly. <laughs> Yes, Walter, that pigskin wallet is for you. Because, folks, every week we give one of these beautiful prizes away, absolutely free and for nothing. But, Walter, what use to you is a pigskin wallet if it's empty? It's no use to you, is it? Is it? No! Right. So you know what I'm going to do for you, Walter? I'm going to fill it. I'm going to fill it, Walter, out of my own pocket there. Look at that. Ten beautiful new crisp one-pound notes. All for you, Walter. It's a good job I'm not married. The wife might have been doing that pocket this morning. <laughs> now, Walter, did you bring it? Did you? Well, let's see it then. Where is it? Oh, he's brought it. He has his penny whistle. <laughs> and, Walter, what are you going to give us? A new bit of Argus Landle. Bit of Argus Landle. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Walter boy. It's all yours. <laughs> Did you hear that Largo's handle? What's he trying to do? Pinch my laughs or something? The stupid old nit. I'll give you the. Uh, I'll give a precy of the plot. Yeah. Um, Blackmailer Nigel Dennis approaches many of society's most notable figures, threatening to air their dirty laundry in public by publishing the salacious details in his new magazine entitled The Naked Truth, a muck-raking scandal sheet. Each of them has two weeks to cough up £10,000 or he publishes in a month. Our film focuses on four of his targets, Lord Henry Maley, television personality wee Sonny McGregor, author Flora Ransom and model Melissa Wright. With none of the four either willing or able to stump up the cash, what follows is a series of doomed attempts by them, each to deal with the Dennis problem once and for all. It's a plot I don't think would have been covered previously. It is quite a a unique idea, isn't it? Because I don't think that the tabloid sort of scandal sheets were a thing in this country back then. It was it was definitely an American idea, wasn't it? I'm, I'm getting that idea from Yeah, the I think it was. I think it was. So we've we've touched on a couple of the cast already, but I'll just run mm. through the principles again. So we've got uh, Terry Thomas playing Lord Henry Maley, mm-hmm. um, who I didn't quite pick this up, but is he? He's, he's obviously sort of landed gentry of some description, or 
uh, sort of middling. Yeah, uh, there's there's some point where his wife refers to something in his past. I couldn't make out exactly what he does uh, or, or gets up to. He's some sort of philanderer, you know. He's got some sort of dark side to him there. Um, but he's definitely some form of nobility because he is, he is referred to as Lord, isn't he? Lord Mayling. So Yeah, but he also seems to be selling insurance on the side. This is the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Do, uh, do you mean to say that I get all that with such a small premium? Yeah. <laughs> so... so He's obviously fallen on hard times or he's not <laughs> as high up in the nobility rankings as we expect him to be. I don't know. It's, yeah. That was the bit that confused me. Um, I was looking earlier at a few sort of like synopses of the movie to try and work it out, but it doesn't give anything away. There's nothing to sort of indicate what he actually is. I'm just looking now at Wikipedia and it just refers to him as... Lord Henry Maley. That's all it says. Mm. It doesn't even say what his job is. So I mm. think you can make of that what you will. But there's definitely something, some form of insurance salesman within him. Yeah. And you mentioned his wife. Now, I know her only from an episode of The Prisoner. Um, and I think that's about all she ever did. There wasn't much in her filmography from what I can remember. Yeah. Uh, um, Georgina Cookson. Yeah. Yeah. Um, funny enough, I just binge watched the whole of the prisoner just before Christmas. Right. First time I'd actually sat and watched it in, in such a short space of time. Normally I'd, I'd watch it sort of spread over a year or something, just watch the odd episode. Um, fascinating story still holds up that, that series. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, she spends her character, Lady Mealy, I suppose she's, mm. she is, she spends the film wandering around this large house <laughs> in London in um in a dressing gown or whatever um, yeah being rather sort of surly towards her husband yeah it, it, it you get the impression she's put up with him and his mm. whatever his bad habits are i i, I get the impression that now, now we're talking about it that perhaps he you know he's, he is a titled gentleman but they've fallen on hard times he's resorted to selling insurance. She's completely resentful of him and the situation she's been put in. I might be reading too much into this. Uh, well, know. actually thinking about it because um, he has to, he has to drum up this 10,000 pounds, pretty, pretty smartish. Yeah. And, and there is a scene where he's, I don't know, is, is he phoning his father-in-law's nursing home to check that the old yeah. boy's still with us? Obviously the wife's father is rich. There you go. And that's what he's pinning his hopes on for his future happiness, basically. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got, so you've got, um, obviously, Peter Sells, you've got Peggy Mount, who plays Flora, who is this crime novelist. Yes. Yeah. Um, now, she, I think, is is one of the best things in the film. Peggy Mount, I know, predominantly from sitcoms more than, than anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. Refreshing to see Peggy Mount not playing a battle axe as mm. such. Because, you know, the things you're thinking of are like George and the Dragon, which yes. she did with Sid James in the late 60s, and the Pat Coombs one that was the late 70s, early 80s, set in the nursing home, whose name I cannot remember for the moment. Oh, yes. Uh, you're, uh, it's, it's it's a play on the Bond film. Uh, you're, only, it, you're only dead once? Or so you're only young so once? You're young, yeah, something like that. It's you're only young like once possible. Yeah, you yeah. know, and she was a battle axe in that. And, that's, and you know... And, hey, hey, Scott, um, two, mm. two middle-aged men <laughs> spend Saturday afternoon trying to think of a 1970s sitcom title. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> we'll remember it in a second. Yeah. I think you're right with your own young once as well. I'm yeah. sure that's what it is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that was how, you know, you mentioned the name Peggy Mount. And that's the first thing. Oh, she's, you know, this battle axe character that's, you know, rolling pin in the hand and, and a pinny, you know. Yeah. Um, but she's not, you know, she she actually has quite a significant role in this, you know, and quite a fair amount of screen time. And, yeah, uh, she's one of the best things in the movie. Absolutely. You know Murray Fish? Why? I want some Mickey Finns, the real McCoy, Mac. What for? Ask no questions there. Then we have the lovely Shirley Eaton. Shirley Eaton turned 85 this week. Oh, so she's still with us then? She is still with us. Yeah. Yeah. Turned 85 this week. A couple of years before. Dr. Nosey. Yeah. yeah, Dr. Nosey. No, Goldfinger. Uh, Goldfinger. Yeah. A couple of, well, quite a few years before that. But in the run up to that, she'll be in a. A um, couple of the early carry-ons, carry-on nurse, carry-on yes. sergeant, I think she mm. might have been in as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot. Her filmography is quite extensive, actually, particularly in the 50s. There's a lot of movies like this that mm. she appears in, this type of gentle black and white British comedy, you know, in the run-up to a Hollywood stardom. Yeah, so you've got these four. So you've got um, Terry Thomas, Peter Sellers, Peggy Mount, Shirley Eaton, They've all been approached. Well, many people, we're led to believe that many people at the sort of top strata of society mm. or, or entertainment or whatever in, in, in the country have been approached by Dennis Price's character, Nigel Dennis. Um, and, yep. he's, and he's got some, some, some sort of smutty gossip about them that he's threatening to expose. And we focus on these four characters. Now, Maley's been indiscreet. Lord Maley has been indiscreet with someone in Regent's Park. Um, I'm assuming it's a female, but that's never made clear. Um, no, that's true. That's true. You know what I mean? It's kind of when they say someone's been indiscreet in a park, sometimes it's got connotations, hasn't it? Of course, in this era. Yeah. But yeah. then again, there's there's that scene where Shirley Eaton turns up at the doorstep and the wife says it's another one of your girls has arrived or something. True, but you never know with yeah. Terry Thomas, do you? Um, <laughs> Sonny McGregor is is a much loved television personality and, and the old people love him, but he's secretly a slum landlord. Yes. Um, and he has this, these, this property or properties in is Eastitch. Um, I can't remember what they said, but yeah, the, to me, that's a bizarre plot sort of point that he's a slum landlord. You know, they could have come up with something a bit more salacious, you know, and it's yeah. just a bizarre choice of what to blackmail somebody with, but yeah, but we'll go with it. We'll, we'll quite well, have to I, I guess he's looking, you know, it could be the ruination of his career because he is, you know, pensioners live in those slums. And if it got out that he was the, I don't know, the the equivalent of Rackman from the (laughs) the 50s or the 60s that Rackman was Yeah, that's Um, true. If it got out that he was like that, then it could ruin his career completely. Of Um, course, and his on-screen persona is that he's Mr. Generous, isn't he? He's giving the £10 to the competition winners. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> that he's then claiming back on expenses or trying to claim 10 guineas back for the 10 pounds. Yes. <laughs> well, that's the first, because when we see Sellers first, as we see McGregor, he's on stage and he's all smiles and he's he calls out this, this old Chelsea pensioner who's won that week's prize. Talent uh, contest. Talent yeah. contest. And you never see, oh no, he plays a penny whistle. That's what it is. Badly. <laughs> <Yeah>. he? <laughs> he's going to play, uh, he's going to play Largo's Handle. That was it, Largo's handle. Yeah. Uh, 
And then, of course, Sellers, uh, while the pension is playing, Sellers goes off stage and is attended to by the wonderful Kenneth uh, Griffith, another Kenneth Griffith, another yeah. prisoner uh, alumni. Yeah. Um, Kenneth Griffith appeared in about five or six films with Sellers over the years earlier. Sellers not film. surprising, not mm. surprising. I mean, he was still acting into his 70s and 80s. He appeared in Four Weddings and a Funeral, Kenneth Griffith. Yeah. Oh, oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So he, he plays... McGregor's assistant, essentially, his, his gopher, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but Sellers dresses up as a, a Chelsea pensioner and goes out onto the stage, and it's this transformation, isn't it? It's you know he's proved that he is a man of a thousand faces. Yes. Yeah. Even though the voice sounds like mate. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Any goons fan will recognise the voices yes. that Sellers does throughout this movie. Oh completely. yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, just very quickly, just quickly going down the cast we've got joan sims who plays uh, ethel who is peggy mount's daughter and and joan sims seems to spend the whole film screaming prior to the carry-ons and actually the early carry-ons joan sims cornered the market in dithering dippy um, late teenagers early 20 year old female characters she was never given an intelligent role to play until mm. the mid carry on series. If you look at the early carry on, she's always like the, the, the dippy teacher in carry on teacher, oh, yes. mm. you know, she's, she's the, the student nurse in carry on nurse. That's always the bumbling nurse. You know, she's the one that's always falling over the trolleys and stuff yeah. like that. Mm. Uh, but she made a career pre carry on out of that character and she shines at it. I mean, Tony, one of my co-hosts on real Britannia, says it's his favourite carry-on actress. And then when he goes back and looks at stuff like this, he's got a real fondness for her. Um, whereas most people, when you ask them about carry-on movies, it's all about the Sid James, the Kenneth Williams, the Barbara Windsor, you know. Mm. But for him, it's always and will be Joan Sims. And when you look at these, you can see why there was a lot more to her than the carry-ons. Yeah, I, I always think of Joan Sims in Carry On At Your Convenience, which I think is one of the best. <laughs> um, where she's just she's she's very matter of fact and she's she knows exactly what what she's doing yeah. she takes no nonsense but you know at, at heart you know she's got a big heart um, that's it i mean you know the, those later ones you know carry on abroad where she's just the, the ever suffering sid james wife or whatever that's it and she does that so naturally but in the run-up to the joan sims that we know from those carry on movies there's a there's a good ten year career before this in 1957 almost of, of, of constant work for her. So, you know, I'm not going to we're not going to go through the film scene by scene, but I'll you know we'll we'll, we'll sort of chat through what yeah. essentially what happens. So you've got Dennis Price, this blackmailer. He's obviously causing a lot of suicides, which is quite startling for a, a 1957 dark. film. Yeah. yeah. Um, all these people committing suicide or having heart attacks because, you know, he's running a mock, threatening to expose their dirty secrets. Um, and we see we see early on uh, Peggy Mount as as Flora. She even attempts suicide by jumping yes. out the window. <laughs> she does actually fall out the window at one point and then uh, lands on the, oh, it's um, Michael Ripper's fruit stall, isn't it? It's Michael, Michael Ripper. Ripper. Yeah. 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 Who's not even credited, I think, actually. Um, you know, at one point, Shirley Eaton, when we get to her, she's putting her head in a gas oven. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, but it's been cut off. 
the, the gas. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and as you say, the Peggy Mount is, is literally swinging out of the window and stops herself before eventually falling out by accident. Um, there's, there's so many layers to this movie. You know, you've got that dark, very black humour. Yes. With yeah. a little bit of knockabout. Well, it's quite a bit of knockabout slapstick in this, actually, when we when we get through it. Yes, particularly Sellers. And then, and then we meet Terry Thomas, um, Lord Mealy, and he's visited by Dennis Price. And Dennis Price um, gives us the plot. He basically, he, well, first of all, he shows Terry Thomas, I'm just going to call him Terry Thomas. He shows Terry yeah. Thomas this American magazine called Scandalous. <laughs> and Terry Thomas looks at it and is, is sort of, you know, his nostrils flare and he says, oh, I think I'll enjoy reading this. And then, and then Dennis Price presents this, I guess it's a mock-up of a magazine he intends to publish, which is called The Naked yes. Truth. And um, on one page, there's a sort of a puff piece, I suppose, about Lord Maley. And then on the opposite page, there's a story which doesn't name anybody, but it's it's just the right <laughs> side of... It, 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 it. As British law stands, the public must not be able to identify directly that Lord Maley is the person referred to in the salacious story. Yeah. But you know, you'd have to be pretty thick not to. Yeah, uh, this is the there's a loophole in the law, isn't yes. there? Basically, that he's in, he's sort of like um exposing. And the left-hand side of the article is the public persona, and it's quite flattering. Yes. And then the right hand side is the dark, real truth behind the man, sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so we see him sort of basically saying, uh, pay up in two weeks or I publish in a month. I want ten thousand pounds. I'll sue you. Tried. You'd have to prove that Mr. X was you. And by doing that, you rather infer the story's true, don't you? Dare you risk that? This is even. There must be a way. There is. An immediate cash gift of £10,000 to the Distressed Journalists Association, of which I am the founder, the treasurer, and uh, so far the only member, would, I'm sure, persuade the editor, myself, to suppress this particular issue. It is blackmail. That's different. Well, of course it's different. Either way, I make money, you see, by a lump sum in cash or by raking in the royalties. Oh, it'll sell like hot cakes. And then w when we see Sonny McGregor, and, and, and we've, we've already talked about the television show, and, and as, as Sellers or as Sonny McGregor is leaving the studio, he's, he's mobbed by yeah. fans. And it's very interesting, that scene. If you notice, he's Sonny McGregor. It's Peter Sellers playing Sonny McGregor. But Sonny McGregor in real life is quite a narcissistic, quite a sort of uh, selfish, petty man, it would yeah. seem, um, who's got an eye for the ladies. So you yeah. see you see Sellers switching character and mood very quickly from being flirty to, to being quite curt, to being cheeky, to being quite blithe, to suddenly being startled and troubled when <laughs> Dennis Price collars him. And mentions yeah. and mentions this property in Eastditch, and you see Sellers, you see Sonny, I should say, all you know his 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 face change, his mood, and his voice changes, just just from the studio door to the car. Yeah, there's the whole gamut of emotions and acting range, literally within seconds. There isn't there, quite right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now we don't know what Dennis Price has on Flora. I want to say Flora Robson, but it's not. It's Flora Ransom. <laughs> um, we don't know what he's got on her exactly, although later on in the film it's suggested that, I don't know, was she some sort of good time girl in Shanghai back in her youth? There's something to do with Shanghai. 
Yeah. Um, again, these these accusations are quite vague, aren't they? You know, it's uh, and again, you know, modern sensibilities. How how scandalous would these things be today uh, compared to 1957? Um, Flora Ransom. I can't see exactly what it was she was accused of. Um, well, we we don't know at all what we don't know what Shirley Eaton's done. No. No, yeah. I think we. I need to go back and have a little look. I think to try and work out exactly what the mm. what the issues are. In any case, it's it's uh, important enough that Flora wants to bump him off. <laughs> she, <laughs> yeah. she, she either doesn't want to or can't pay him, um, and well, obviously she doesn't want to. But she she immediately, uh, you know, when he's told her of his intentions um, and threat, you know, threatens to expose her <laughs> as being this. Let's just say a good time girl back in a youth. Yeah, yeah. She um, she immediately decides that she's going to have to you know deal with him in a in a, a pretty final way. And because there's a, a a reference to an old trunk up in the loft, and she says to yeah. Ethel, "Go and get that trunk." And then Ethel sort of glances down, and one of her books is lying on the couch, and it's um, something like the body in the trunk was the, the title. Yeah, or the trunk murders or something. Trunk isn't murders, it? Yeah. yeah, something. And then we see we see Sunny. Uh, Sonny's up in Birmingham and he's got a guest who comes out and you know, they're, they're doing a, a bit for the audience. And then the the the, the old gentleman um, says that he's from Eastditch, quite innocently. Yeah. yeah. And this, this is the only bit of the film that I felt, the whole film's unrealistic, let's face it, but this bit <laughs> of the film jarred with me because you've got right. Sellers as Sonny losing his rag. Because the guy mentions that he's from East Ditch, there's, you know, he's got there's no insinuation there, but Sonny just thinks that it is, and and flies into a rage for no reason whatsoever, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so now you've got Sonny deciding that he he also wants to bump off Dennis Price. Uh, I guess the first. Sellers' transformation. He plays an old boatman, doesn't he? Because yeah, yeah, the inspector of the the waterways or something, or whatever he describes himself as, doesn't he? That's right. yeah. He's he, well. He says he's from the London. I didn't yeah. jot it all down. London mm. Bureau of Boats, Barges, and Brigs. That was it. And yeah. it's and it's Sellers dressed as this old geezer um, <laughs> uh, with a West Country accent, I think. And yep. uh, he says, and he he goes to Dennis Price's barge. I gather you get the impression Dennis Price hasn't got two pennies to rub together, really, because he drives a a bubble car and he he doesn't. Yes. You know, um, he seems to be he, well. He's that kind of character that that's on his uppers, I suppose. Uh, yeah. Um, but uh, so so Sellers disguised as this boatman goes and. Um, uh, uh, says that his boat has dry rot, and there's a bit of a kerfuffle. Mm-hmm. And and I, I, I jotted this down because you see Sellers doing what I would call his nervous acting, his nervous shtick. And right. by that I mean it's when one of his characters. It, I don't know how to describe it. The best way I could describe describe it in my favorite Sellers film, which is a, a Shot in the Dark from '64. Right at the end, Dreyfus is revealed as being the um, the, the man who's been killing uh, all these people. Of course, yeah, yeah. Um, in a vain attempt to kill Cluso. Yeah. 
and right at the end he completely uh, breaks down and has a um well, he, he, he he goes stark <laughs> staring mad and he starts yeah. attacking graham stark right and you see clues stark who's, who's, who's clues assistant yeah you see Cluso kind of trying to sort of drag him off but then sort of stepping back and then oh, running back in yeah, right. and then yeah. stepping back it's yeah. that kind of very nervous kind of and you've got the, yeah. you've got sellers as the boatman doing that as well mm. in this and sellers does that in, in a number of i've seen him do that in a number of uh, uh roles but essentially i think what he's what he's trying to do he he's trying to well i guess he's trying to kill dennis price by soaring a gangplank almost in half yes a, a good <laughs> car a good cartoon plot yes. Yes, isn't it? That's a wily e. coyote type sort of like situation. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. but of but of course, the wrong person gets in the drink. It's Terry Thomas, mm-hmm. and um, and that's the first time that Terry Thomas, or Lord Mealy, and mm-hmm. Sonny McGregor uh, meet. And and while this is going on, you've got Flora, who I can't remember how she hears about this, but she someone mentions about the existence of Mickey Finns. Right, now, basically, she was at a a book signing or a, a murderer's writers conference and there's that rather imposing woman with the large glasses and the blonde hair oh yes the uh, agatha christie avatar yeah and she rings up her no base she goes into the chemist and she asks for knockout drops oh yes she does and the chemist says you mean a sleeping draft and he says are you having trouble sleeping she says no i'm sleeping quite well thank you very much and because she has no luck at the chemist she then rings up this other writer colleague of hers and she says if you wanted to bump somebody off what would you use to knock them out with and she's well oh a mickey finn she says that's what you need a Mm. mickey finn Mm. and where would you get them and then this author says well i usually get mine from is it monty fish is there a character called Mon- yeah. Monty Fish? I think Murray Fish. Murray Fish. Yes. Uh, at the Limehouse Tavern in the East End. Yes. <laughs> so she sent. So she sent off to to try and get these illicitly somewhere or another. Yes. She disguises herself in a beret as <laughs> as I'm not quite sure what accent she's got. Um, she tries to do an East End accent because when she walks into the bar, she's going to ask for a gin and orange or something. And then she realises where she is and changes it to a port and lemon. (laughs) (laughs) So we see Terry Thomas, who's fallen into the canal. Mm. Um, He creeps into his house. He's soaking wet. His wife catches him. His wife just seems to be permanently prowling around the house, doesn't she? Trying to catch Um, him out, I think. Yeah. I think that's what it is. Um, Yeah. And she informs him that one of his girls has phoned. So she's obviously used to his uh, there we go yeah. indiscretions, yeah. His fidelities, infidelities, um, and she's almost kind of amused by it. Um, it's a bit of a game, isn't it? Because if you think about it, if she manages to divorce him, he's not going to see a penny of her inheritance, is he? No. She's probably trying to catch him out with some concrete evidence at the end of the day. And, and she says this girl has tele- telephoned. She says she's in trouble, which obviously had you know was quite suggestive. Back, back yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and of course this is because Shirley Eaton has been to the barge and she's managed to to break into the filing cabinet that yeah. has the, the the mock-up magazines and she's seen Lord Maley profile in there so she she turns up and she basically I think she just wants to go to the police and and lay it all bare and obviously Terry Thomas doesn't want to, wanted to do that so he says he buys himself some time um, he's got some sort of half plan hatching i guess 
It's like this. We're doing a job in London. Tis the Albert Hall at all, and we've run right out of the jelly. And, and with this film, with The Naked Truth, I think it's best known scene. Uh, Sonny, we Sonny McGregor uh, going over the water to Dublin to procure <laughs> some gelatinite to, to, to build a bomb. Yeah, some uh, jelly. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to describe this scene, Scott? He walks into a bar. Does he actually go to Dublin? I got the impression that, you know, when um, he's sort of discussing where he can get explosives from, they say, well, you'll have to go to Ireland. He says, hang on, I've got a better idea. Oh, I, right. Possibly not then. Possibly just an yeah. Irish bar somewhere. Oh, so what he thinks is, yeah, well, he's, he's inhabited by Irish punters, you know, and it turns out that he picks the wrong people. But he turns up in this bar in a disguise, and I can only describe it to modern audiences that those that watch the last season of the Alan Partridge show, <laughs> where he has the Irish get... Do you remember this? Yes, I do. Yes. And it is a very similar style of makeup with the heavy set eyebrows. I don't know if he's got false teeth in, but he's got this thick black hair. I think there's sideburns. He's quite thick set. He appears thicker set than usual. And he's got this outrageous <laughs> Irish accent singing about Galway and Donegal and blah, 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 you know. All this. Um, but he's also, he's got the nose as well. And he had, yeah, be, because when he gets punched, it, it gets spread across his face at one point. <laughs> And, and he goes up to two guys that he thinks are obviously going to be Irish in this Irish bar. And, and he asks them, you know, I'm, I, I, yes, he says, I'm over here doing a job. So that made me think he's come over from Ireland to London. So he's in yeah. London in an Irish bar. And he says, I need to get hold of some jelly. And it turns out that as one of the guys stands up and punches him, what does he say? Does he say he says it in an English accent, doesn't he? The guy that punches him or something. There's no, some so, indication so, they're not Irish at all. Or they punch him so oh, no, it's a bloody Englishman or something, doesn't well, he? They because, suss out that he's not Irish. Because he goes in and he he to all intents and purposes is an Irishman, but then he starts speaking Welsh. Yes, he he, he does that that long town name, the Gogogok thing, yes, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> uh and he wants some some jelly because he wants to blow up the Albert <laughs> Hall. <laughs> oh, where does he refer to it? The Albert? Uh, it's the Albert Hall at all. Hall at all, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, excellent. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they rumble him straight away. They, they rumble him. They, he gets punched in the face, punched in the nose. Ah! An Englishman, all right. Ah, my nose. Oh, it's all darling, it's nose. It's all gone. I picked up on that as well. I thought, brilliant, he's stuck in another comedy voice as yeah. well. Yeah, <laughs> superb. Yeah. I like to think that character is maybe an uncle or even the father of the character that Salas played in that episode of Sykes. Have you seen oh, that? Oh, blimey, yes. Yeah, he's got, because... He's got the mm. hair, he's got the nose, he's quite heavy set. And uh, it's not an Irish accent, but he does play it with an accent, doesn't he? Um He's not playing an no. Irish. He's, he's an East End. He's a Cockney. That was it. I knew there was some accent. Because I always get that mixed up now thinking back of um, Leonard Rossiter in the Steptoe episode where he breaks out of jail. Uh, uh-huh. Yes. Because Leonard Rossiter plays somebody similar, doesn't he? He plays this East End-like villain that's broken out of jail. Uh, and he's got Johnny. That... Johnny somebody. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. The Desperate Hours, I think, was the the, um, the episode. Yeah. Yeah. So we have, we have Salah's, obviously, the bomb idea 
that didn't come off. So he then not going to happen. Yeah, he decides to visit a gunsmith and try and procure a rifle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's almost. It's, it's like one of those farces, you know, the bedroom farces where there's like four different plots going on at the same time and you know they're all going to meet at some point Yeah. with, you know, equal amounts of confusion and kerfuffle going on. Yes. Um, and it, you're just waiting because you know the four of them are going to gel at some some point. It's all going to come together. Yeah, well, see, see, so Terry Thomas, Lord Mayley, has met Sonny McGregor. He has met Shirley Eaton. And then he goes for for good and sufficient reasons. He goes to Flora Ransom's house and gets Mickey Finned by mistake. Um, <laughs> and then we, we won't go into that. There's an interesting yeah. scene though, where you have David Lodge um, playing what else but a uh, policeman. <laughs> playing a policeman. Now, Scott, you may not know this, but about five years ago, <laughs> um, with my good friends over at the podcast uh, Jaffa Cakes for Proust. Um, oh, right. <laughs> we we recorded an episode which was basically all about David Lodge playing policemen in films. Okay. I, bet there, I bet there's a few. Isn't there? um, there's. <laughs> I, I remember checking at the time there are at least 17, 18 policemen <laughs> he played in his career. Uh, and we, we covered about, what was it, three, four films we talked about? Yeah. And sure enough, in The Naked Truth, he turns up as a policeman. Walking the beach. Yeah. And you have this great scene where Sellers, as, again, disguised as the boatman, mm-hmm. is trying to avoid his eye and trying to look innocent and trying to look circumspect. Yeah. Um, but just ending up looking thoroughly, thoroughly suspicious. Beautiful evening, Constable. Beautiful evening. <laughs> well, there's a point where he catches sight of him and David Lodge actually spins around in a complete circle to take <laughs> a second look at him. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's, and, and the thing is, I mean, you've seen all the bloopers and the outtakes from the Pink Panther movies where they're corpsing, you know, because the pair of them yes. couldn't look each other in the eye. And it was similar with his relationship with Spike as well when he appeared in the Q8 and, you know, all those other Q series. He played policeman in probably a dozen of those yeah. as well, not, not including the, the, the movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and such was the friendship with him, Sellers and Spike, you know, that, that they just couldn't work together without laughing all the time. And I can just imagine that, you know, he was brought on board because they were great friends and, um, yeah, you can just see the twinkle as well in the relationship with them. You know, you'll find half of the people that you spot on the screen are not listed, but you know their name. You know David Lodge, you know Edie Martin, you know Mario Fabrizzi. Wilfred Lawson was the contestant on the TV show. If you look underneath that makeup, that's a famous face. There. Yeah. Michael Ripper, we mentioned earlier. You know, he's not credited. Yes, yes. Uh, and also... <sighs> Playing Cedric, playing the fiance of Flora Rob, uh, Flora Ransom, <laughs> is um, the the wonderful um, cherubic-looking Miles Mellison. Oh, uh, good morning, sir, Mrs. Ransom. My French is out, but we are expecting her back. If you can't come in, well, I am, sir, aren't I? Nothing <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to worry about, you know, sir. Oh, I'm sure it's not. I've been sent on a little inquiry about a missing cabinet last seen in Mrs. Ransom's possession. I don't know if you know. I've no idea, but I'm sure Mrs. Ransom. Now, now, please. But what is the relationship there? Because Joan Sims refers to him as Daddy. 
he's I think I believe he's 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 Flora's betrothed um, because her first husband died out in Asia uh, I think and and Miles Mellison I I think it's one of those sort of permanent engagements (laughs) Uh. (laughs) because I couldn't quite work that I knew they were close friends and 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 Joan Sims refers to him as as daddy and I'm thinking well is that her father and they're divorced you know the parents are divorced but there's no indication of that you know it it was just Weird trying to work out. Yeah, as you say, Miles Mallison cropped up in it. I mean, quite recently we reviewed Dead of Night on Real Britain. Oh yes, Mm. yeah, and he plays the um, the Undertaker. Room for one more inside. You know that's him there. Yes, Uh, Kind Hearts and Coronets as well. He's the hangman. He's the hangman, isn't he? In Kind Hearts and Coronets. That's it. Yeah, he's the hangman in Kind Hearts. Yeah, but he generally plays clergymen or yes. Well, he's, magistrates he's always, and magistrates, things sometimes yes. yeah he's always cheerful generally yeah um yeah. He's, he's often confused easily um <laughs> uh, he play, he was in um i'm all right jack as uh, ian windrush senior yeah ian carmichael's yes. father at one point he's naked i believe I think he is in that. Yeah. yeah, but you don't you don't see the you don't you don't see the <laughs> Miles's Mallison. You just uh, you see him. That, that, that's him. Yeah. yeah, you know, a couple of Hammer films he was in. He was in The Hound of the Baskervilles, the Peter Cushing one. Yes, um, I think he was in Heavens Above as well. Peter Sellers, wasn't he? He was. He was definitely. In well, I think he was probably in every single Peter Sellers film <laughs> of the fifties and early sixties. Let's face it. Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Uh, so. Yes, as as you sort of alluded to, that the four of them eventually do sort of come together. Yeah. Um, more by accident than by design. Of course. And they hit upon this idea, this plot, this plan to um, not to kill Dennis Price, but to basically ship him off to South America. Yeah. Uh, now, th- this, this would be the point I would say where, because up until this point, the film has been just a series of, almost like a series of sketches, I guess. But but mm. we're now into the third act, essentially, and this is where, in fact, it's probably the last 20 minutes of the film, essentially. Yeah, it just all comes together, doesn't it, at this point, you know? You... Yeah. Uh, Terry Thomas and Peter Sellers contrive this plan where they're going to somehow, uh, I, I guess, kidnap Dennis Price and bundle him onto a boat to... Colombia or somewhere like that. I, it's I somewhere know. in South America, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and there is a, there's a scene where again, Salas dressed as the old boatman has has broken into the barge into De- Dennis Price's barge. I forget what he's trying to do, but he hears someone coming, so he hides under the bed, and then you just see this pair of feet coming and sitting on the bed. You see yeah. the feet, and then, and I want to ask you about this because this I've never understood this. You see from Sellers POV, so from yep. you don't see you see from under the bed, you see another pair of feet turning up, and it's clearly a female because she's wearing yep. high heels. Yeah. And they clearly they kiss because she does that thing with her leg where she raises it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. What the hell is all that? I've never understood that. That's that's to signify kissing, isn't it? Pretty much. Yeah. And then you then get the the feeling he's there for quite an extended period of time all night i think <laughs> so he's, he's obviously on the wrong boat no he's not he's he's, he's not. on the right boat but um dennis price had let it 
the day before. Ah, oh, that's what it was. Right. Okay. Because <laughs> he's there all night, um, just basically stuck until he can make his, his bid for freedom. Yeah, well, they're presumably making whoopee all night because it's, you it's a young couple. Anyway, the police arrest Dennis Price because I, I think by this point, Shirley Eaton may have tipped them off. So they arrest yeah. Dennis Price, but and he ends up in prison. This is what I don't understand because it's like, has there been a trial? I don't know. This, this is the thing. Up to this point, it's cracking along nicely. You know, we've got these three or four separate stories. We've got a wonderful plot that you're engaged in. It starts to, I'm not saying the film fails spectacularly, but it starts crumbling a little towards the end, trying mm. to find a denouement to the whole thing. If you see what I mean, it was like, yes. Pertwee, when he was writing, he was thinking, right, I've got all of this happening. How do I, how do I resolve this? And it does become where well, you mentioned something was a little bit unbelievable. It becomes very unbelievable in the very final scene. Um, and it is, it's just like, okay, well, I've got, all of these ganging up on him, trying to get their revenge and to prevent him doing what he's supposed to be doing. How do I achieve that? And it just becomes a bit patchy at this point, yeah. um, which is the only failure of the movie, in my opinion. You know, it's just the only thing that lets it down. Yeah. So all that people need to know is that with the collusion of, what, two, three hundred other people? Because there's so many people. That oh, that's right. Really... Because in, yeah, in the filing cabinet, they, they get everybody involved. And then there's this elaborate scheme to get the police. This was it, wasn't it? To get the police engaged somewhere else. They're all making fake telephone calls. Yes. Yeah. Via 999 or whatever to get the police distracted. Is that how it works? Yes. So that so that yeah. uh, Sellers and, and Terry Thomas can kidnap um, Dennis Price and they take him onto a boat and then they take him onto a, again, I don't understand this. They take him onto an airship. This is the bit I was to say, it's just like, is this just the convenient way yeah. to try and tie up the whole thing? You know? And I wrote in my notes, no Shirley. In other words, you've got, you've got Flora, you've got um, Sonny and you've got Lord Maley and Dennis Price on this airship. But, but um, Melissa, she's not there. She's not there. Uh, Dennis Price wakes up, doesn't realise he's on an airship. He says that he wasn't going to expose them anyway, um, and they've destroyed all the evidence against him. So up yours, essentially, and yeah. walks out the door, but doesn't realise that he's um, 20,000 feet up above the ocean. And, <laughs> and, and we presume perishes. And it's a happy ending, or is it? Because for some reason, Sellers has a, a, a loaded pistol and yeah. shoots it and much like a, a balloon where the, the air deflates from it, it the, the, the airship sort of <laughs> skitters around the sky and we presume that they all die as well. Yeah, I can only assume that that last five, ten minutes was written by somebody else. I don't know. <sighs> it, it just doesn't fit in. It's just, as I say, we, we were doing so well up to this point. Yes. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I still, I, I still, I'm still, I still go with it. Oh, yeah. I, I think they left, and, and it says at the end, the, the, the titles at the end were The End, dot, 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 or Is It? So possibly or, they were leaving yeah. it open for a sequel. Yeah. Uh, now, I was thinking the possible, mm -hmm. I don't, right, back in the day, you know, you couldn't end a film where the bad guys uh, were triumphed, victor triumphed yeah. Or, or yeah. victorious. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming that because let's face it, the three of them, they were fairly ropey individuals. Let's face They're it. They're not whiter than white, are they? Exactly. No. Um, yeah. We didn't particularly, they weren't, they weren't heroic. That's why I'm maybe wondering, that, is that why Shirley Eaton's character wasn't 
on the airship because she seemed to be the only one who had any sort of scintilla of decency about her or sensibility. Yeah, because she was the one that was originally going to go to the police where all the others were just going to try and exact their own revenge. Just kill him. Yeah. 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 Um, it, it's, it's just bizarre. Perhaps it, it just seems that ending was tacked on. And if it was tacked on, was it at a point where Shirley Eaton wasn't available for filming? You know, it could be something as simple as that. It it may have been a completely rewritten possibly. ending to what was planned, you know? Well, possibly, yeah, because it does seem, yes, it does seem like, you're right, it does seem like it's um, from a different film completely. Yeah. Um, and it could have been shot very quickly, I guess. Exactly. Um, it's only one scene. It's literally two minutes at the very most. Yeah. Um. I, that's that's my theory. Thinking about it now, talking to you, I hadn't really thought about it, but I just knew there was something that bugged me about. You know, you've got this elaborate staging of all the people calling nine 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 and setting all of this up, and you think this is going to be great. You know, there's going to be this massive, great crowd-based sort of like revenge. You know, where they all get him or whatever. I don't know, and it just it just fizzles towards the end in something that's not quite as satisfying as you you know you'd hope it to be. Yeah, uh, it doesn't have an ending like, for example, Two Way Stretch, which to me is a satisfying ending. Exactly. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And and um, apparently during takes, of, during this film, Peggy Mount liked to knit and she knitted blue jumpers for the whole cast. <laughs> I could see Peggy Mount doing that, yeah. actually. Yeah, yeah, that that rings true. Yeah. yeah. So overall, I... I, I apart from the last 15, 20 minutes, I think this film is solid. I like it very much yeah. for Sellers' performance. I, I I do like Terry Thomas. I've never been a huge Terry Thomas fan, mm. per se, although my favourite performance of his is in the, uh, I'm going to get it wrong, um, the Amicus Portmanteau film that he was in, um, Vault of Horror or... It was Vault of Horror, I think, where he's living in this incredibly modern house for 1974. Yeah. Do you know the one I mean? Um, yeah, because I always get those sort of ones mixed up. I always turn to Theatre of Blood or, uh, yeah. Which had Dennis he, Price in it. Yes, he did. He did, amongst others, Robert Morley and all those guys, didn't they? Yeah. Vault of Horror is the one with um, Tom Baker and yes, uh, Michael Craig and all those guys, isn't it? Um Bond villains in it. Kurt Jurgens is yes, in that one. Yes, and it's got yeah. uh, it's got brother and sister Dan uh, Daniel Massey. Massey's and, and the Massey's Massey. are in it. Yeah. Yes, um, but in in the Terry Thomas sequence, <laughs> um, it culminates in his wife, whose name escapes me. It's that lovely actress. Is it Glynis Johns? Glynis Johns is um, who was the mother in Mary Poppins. Yes, yes. she yeah. ends up murdering terry thomas i'm sorry spoilers here folks but it, you know, <laughs> um but she she murders him and dismembers his entire anatomy dismembers him yep. completely and bottles it all so you've got a she bottle puts them in little little jars doesn't she with labels on them and stuff yes <laughs> but the great little thing little touches that the the camera sort of scans on there's his eyeballs um there, <laughs> there's his ears and the, look there's his teeth with the gap <laughs> exactly yeah exactly brilliant because if, if i remember rightly there's something he's nagging her isn't he because she isn't a very neat and tidy person but the the final scene is that everything is neatly placed in jars everything's she, everything's all organized and organized, organized at the end but that was his big bugbear with her that she wasn't an organized neat and tidy person he had extreme ocd can't you do anything neatly? Can't you do anything neatly? 
There are the. So, yeah, so uh, overall thoughts, anything else you want to say about this film? I'm going to agree exactly with what you said. I mean, for me, you know, a, a big fan of British movies and particularly this era, the 50s is just an untapped vault of, of great stuff. You know, we've got, this is almost a golden age, you know, when we go through that cast. And as we said at the beginning, it's surprising that this isn't mentioned as much as it should be, but then perhaps it is because of that last five minutes, 10 minutes or so that people have, have sat through an hour and 20 and gone, ah, that's that spoiled it for me. You know, I think if that ending had, had been slightly different, it, I think this would be held up there with those other movies that have these great ensemble casts that we always turn to. Yes. You know, um, and it's a shame. It's a shame. But if you can put up with that last five minutes, it's not it's not excruciatingly bad. We're not saying that by any way, shape or form. Um, you're going to be in for a good 90 minutes of, of solid entertainment. We've got a great performance from Sellers. As you say, we get the full range. You know, he's, he's given free reign to, to do an, a huge number of accents and comic personas. Terry Thomas, I do like. Um, Dennis Price, we spoke at length solid dependable you know um and sort of early performances for shirley Eaton and, and joan sims who, who again you know at this early stage of their career tend to get overlooked because they're better known for their later stuff yes go back and watch it highly recommended absolutely yeah shirley Eaton was in carrying on nurse wasn't she yeah i think she may have had a bit part in sergeant as well i think she worked in the canteen she wasn't the one in carry on nurse who placed the daffodil was she or do we not? Oh, well, Wilfred Hyde, Wilfred yeah. Hyde White. Um, it might be. There's two of them that play the trick on him. I can't remember who it is. And I think yeah. Joan Sims might have been one of them. Yeah, great. It's, it's one of the better carry on films. Again, people tend to gravitate towards that colour stuff, you know, sort of post Cleo, Cleo to camping sort of era. Um, but I would really urge people to go back and look at Nurse regardless constable cabbie is absolutely fantastic you know um yes some of them are a lot lot better than what you think a carry-on film actually is yeah yes because it was um it was the guy uh, hudis i'm trying to think of his name that wrote the, norman yeah norman hudis so yeah. it's before talbot rothwell got his smutty paws on the script exactly <laughs> changed changed it all completely and uh, and the thing is, as well, I think Shirley Eaton appeared in Carry On Admiral the year before this, which wasn't a Carry On. Oh film. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Scott, thank you so much again for for taking the time to to speak to me and uh, talk about this 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 fine film. Now, <laughs> uh, I know, you know obviously you've been on before and you've talked about it before, but there will be people that have not heard your first appearance. So, do you want to just um, talk us through the the plethora of podcasts that you would I will be with. As, as quick as I can on this one hmm. uh <laughs> the first one I started it's, it's in its ninth year uh was the stinking pause uh p-a-u-s-e and and that was just a general review of classic movies but we go right up to date with that you know and that's just myself and a couple of friends we get together and we just review a movie every month uh that was swiftly followed by real Britannia which is I think where you know, we got to know each other through that podcast, yeah. which is uh, a separate entity, but it focuses completely on British movies from the silent era. And we'll go right up to modern day with that, you know, but in between we've got the kitchen sinks, the carry-ons, 
you know, the John Mills stiff upper lip war movies, Norman Wisdoms, you name it, you know, it covers everything right up to the film four stuff. You know, we, we, we're doing everything in regard to that. We're just doing a major sort of hammer horror retrospective at the moment. Um, Rainbow Valley is a sixties documentary uh, podcast that I started about five, six years ago. I haven't put one out for about a year because I'm totally bogged down with all these other ones at the moment that is still going. Um, there's an episode I'm working on at the moment about the making of Zulu. So that will be the next episode coming up for that. Great. And the most recent project, I was very lucky, very honored to be asked two years ago to be co-host on the official talking pictures, TV podcast. Mm. Um, which is the official podcast of the greatest and best loved archive movie and TV channel this country has got to offer. If you haven't, you must have heard of it out there, listeners. You know, it's it's this type of movie will always be on that channel, plus a lot of stuff you've forgotten about. Yeah, it's on um, demand now as well, isn't it? There is an on-demand service called TPTV Encore. Yep. Um, it's on Freeview, Sky, FreeSat. This sort of movie is the staple of it. It's the bread and butter of the channel, um, as well as some classic old British dramas that you've always forgotten about that were on the TV, you know, like Secret Army and, and those kind of things, you know. The mind of Mr. J.G. Reader, I think. It's yes. Yeah, it's all there. It's uh, all there. In any case, I'm sorry that I've been so snotty and bunged up and <laughs> sounding even more, um, what's the word? Not anodyne. Um, adenoidal. Is that the word? That'll do. That'll, That'll do. do. We'll do. They'll take it. That's fine. Um, yeah. Anodyne as well applies. <laughs> um, thank you so much once again. Thank you very much, Tyler. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Scott. Uh, thank you for listening. As always, please rate and review in the usual places. Please mention this podcast's existence to friends, family, acquaintances, strangers you meet on the train, uh, anyone that you feel might be interested in in its content and the sort you know the sort of things that that we talk about on here so yeah please please pass on the good word uh i will be back next time with something different take care bye <laughs>